You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. Through a combination of solo episodes and interviews with some incredible guests, we bring you the insights and practical tips to create happier working environments for you and your teams. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or a colleague and leaving a rating or review on your favorite platform. I think what's key is helping people see the purpose they have through helping people to be purposeful. There's a big difference between having purpose and being purposeful. You can have a big purpose statement, know your contribution, but not see how you're contributing every day. And so that's what purpose is. Meaning is the sense we make of the world around us and what we're doing. When we experience something as meaningful, we're experiencing it as positive, as purposeful and significant. When we experience something as meaningless, we experience it as potentially futile or not significant to us or or other people. Welcome back to another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have Zach Mercurio as my guest today. And if you are interested in employee engagement, and I know there's a lot of people are, we're going to challenge what you think and what you do around employee engagement in our episode today. Some really interesting insights. Zach and I have an absolutely brilliant conversation and he even challenged some of the things that I think about and that I consider quite foundational it's just a really, really enlightening conversation. I know that you're absolutely going to love this. As always, at the end of the conversation, I'm going to do a synopsis of the key points that we talked about in our conversation today. I'd love for you to share what you learned, share anything that you might be doing differently as a result of listening to today's episode. You'll find all of my links at happieratwork.ie. Enjoy today's episode. Zach, you're so welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. And I've been dying to have you on the podcast for ages. I'm a huge fan of everything that you put out on LinkedIn, especially, and how you challenge things, how you sort of challenge our thinking and invite us, let's say, to think about things in a slightly different way. Do you want to introduce yourself to listeners a little bit about how you got to where you are today and what you're doing? Thanks, Sifa. Thanks for having me. I really see my purpose as to helping people realize their own significance, um, the significance that they inherently have as people, as leaders, uh, because when we realize that significance, that's when we can take responsibility for it. And I suppose that all started for me when I was growing up. I was the youngest of three brothers. And when you're the youngest, you get really good at entertaining yourself. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, Yeah. And comparing yourself, you know, so I was always searching to measure up. I was sort of brought up to search for significance. And that led me into some really interesting places and a lot of wrong places. You know, the first job out of university, I was in an advertising position and I had all the outward indicators of success. You know, I was making decent money at the time. I had status. I was in advertising in Washington, D.C., but I felt empty and unfulfilled. And and I noticed the people around me would come into the office on a Monday and they'd talk about what they were doing the next weekend. And I was really astonished that how normal it was for people to live for two-sevenths of their lives the weekend, the days that begin with the letter S. And that's when I became more obsessed with how people were working than what the work actually was. And that led me actually to leave that first job. And I went back to work in higher education to make sure no one ended up like me. I wanted people to ask the why questions first 
You know, we often tell young people to develop the form of their life before they understand their function in life. And like our good architecture, if function follows form, there's inevitably going to be a design flaw. That's what we see with human beings. And that's what I experienced. And then as I was in higher ed, some of the students I was working with would go out into private industry and companies and then say, hey, Zach, we need this. We need more purpose and meaning here. And I would start moonlighting, speaking and consulting and studying what's happening in in companies. And then I, eight years after I got my master's and was working, I got my PhD in this. And that's really why I'm here right now. I do research in a place called the Center for Meaning and Purpose at Colorado State University. We study meaningful work and life. But then the rest of my time is I'm out with organizations helping to turn creating meaningfulness into common hard practices in our organizations. But it really goes back to that five-year-old self, right? Of helping other people to see their own significance now first so that they contribute and experience joy. I love how you describe it as significance because I don't think I've heard anyone else using that term. We kind of, we talk about purpose and we talk about meaning, but I've never heard anyone describe it as your significance as a unique individual. And I hope people listening today will really take a step back and consider that, that you are significant, you are here for a reason, et cetera, et cetera. And then taking that responsibility. So once you realize that you are significant, then you need to take responsibility for fulfilling whatever that is, whatever that means to you. Uh, Can we come back to this idea of purpose and meaning and maybe take them separately, but I'd love to get your thoughts on how to define them. Yeah, purpose is really defined as the reason for which something exists, something's use or usefulness. It's our contribution. It's where our unique strengths make a unique impact on those around us. I don't think purpose is somewhere out there waiting to be found. Usually it's right where we are waiting to be acknowledged. You know, everybody listening has strengths. Everybody listening interacts with another human being today. Therefore, everybody listening has purpose by default. I think what's key is helping people see the purpose they have through helping people to be purposeful. You know, there's a big difference between having purpose and being purposeful. You can have a big purpose statement, know your contribution, but not see how you're contributing every day. And so that's what purpose is. Meaning is the sense we make of the world around us and what we're doing. When we experience something as meaningful, we're experiencing it as positive, as purposeful and significant. When we experience something as meaningless, we experience it as potentially futile or not significant to us or or other people. And I'll throw in another word here because you mentioned it at the beginning, and that is mattering. Because to experience either purpose, our contribution, or positive meaning, we have to first believe that we matter. We have to first see the evidence of our significance to others in our environment to reaffirm our self-belief that we're significant. And that's why, yeah, it's up to us to see our significance, but it's also up to our community to reflect our significance back to us, which I believe is the ultimate role of leadership, is to reflect people's significance back to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much, there's so much there that I want to start to unpack. And this idea of the environment and the importance of that environment. And for me, you know, from the research that I did and from the experiences that I've had at work, I've seen firsthand the importance of that environment. And if you don't get that reflected back, like 
is that that you're in the wrong environment. For me, it means you're in the wrong environment and you need to go and find somewhere else where that will be reflected back, where your strengths are recognized and that you can thrive. Any thoughts on that kind of the general, the impact of the environment and and how people are experiencing work at the moment? Feelings of insignificant results in two behaviors, acts of withdrawal or acts of desperation. Acts of withdrawal are things like quiet quitting. You know, everybody uses the term quiet quitting, right? People doing the bare minimum just to get by. Quiet quitting was the inevitable withdrawal response to having our instinct to matter not met. Just like if our instinct to eat is not met, our body shuts down. The same is true psychologically when our instinct to matter is not met or isolating or withdrawing or the terminal withdrawal response, leaving an organization. Organizations call that turnover, but that's really a withdrawal response to feeling insignificant. It's the ultimate one. Or acts of desperation. These can be louder, complaining, blaming, gossip, for example. The number one predictor of gossip is called psychological contract violation. It's when the the violation of my fair treatment, our agreement of fair treatment between you as my supervisor and me, has been violated. So I can't speak up to you, so I speak out to other people. Grasp to be heard, right? But here's what happens. A lot of leaders say, oh, that person's a difficult employee versus I've created a difficult environment, right? We often try to take a disease model approach to individuals. There's something wrong with that person versus there's something wrong with our environment. And your environment is usually complicit in every behavior you say you don't want. It's not that there's individual characteristics of an individual that they might need to work on, right, to improve on how they're communicating or showing up. But our environment is always complicit in the behaviors we see. And I think great leaders really understand that. And they take what's called an ecological view of employee behavior, which is that Before they say, oh, what's wrong with that employee? They ask, how is our environment creating that behavior? I love that. There's so many different avenues I go down now. It's sort of like, it's a bit like, whoa. Uh, The first thing I'd love to share is that a recent episode I recorded, which is from initial outlook, completely unrelated. We were talking about emotions at work and attachment theory. I'm not sure if you're familiar Mm. with attachment theory. Oh, yeah, of course. This idea of feeling insignificant and the resulting withdrawal or desperation were exactly the kind of themes that we covered in that. I just find it so interesting, the parallels, because we're talking essentially about the same thing, but from a completely separate angle, if you like. Right. Almost all mental health issues in the workplace and beyond are the result of unmet needs. And one of the core needs is that need for attachment. But the attachment theory is really the need for mattering in disguise. You know, from the moment we are born, we tilt our head upward, right? We tilt our head upward to gaze up at a caretaker. That's actually the first instinct we have as babies. Because if we didn't matter to someone else, none of us would be listening or participating in this podcast right now. Like we have to procure care from somebody to survive at some point in our lives. And just like eating, like I said, that instinct for care doesn't go away. That's why I always laugh when people say this is kind of touchy-feely or it's just work or you know, people don't need to be cared for. Caring for people is really about as touchy-feely as feeding someone who's hungry. And 
it's so critical that we see it that way, that it's not a like nice to have. It's not something that's negotiable. Just like nourishing someone through food isn't negotiable for survival. And I think leaders who are really doing this well embrace that. And they embrace the responsibility that they create the ecosystem that provides that or cannot provide that. It's so interesting. And I'm, again, there's kind of spin-offs from that that I'm thinking that, again, just thinking of another episode that we spoke about, and it's a victim mentality where, well, I'm not receiving that from my leader, so therefore I'm not providing that for my team, when actually as an individual, you need to take responsibility. And I'm guilty of doing that as well, that I'm like, well, I'm not getting that from, from my leader, from my management. So why am I going to give that to my team? That's just how things are done here. Any thoughts on that? Because, it, you know, it's it's hard to break that culture when the culture is a little bit like that. What can we do as individuals to change it? Or do we end up withdrawing or do we end up leaving ultimately? Yeah, something that should be like both sobering and empowering is that great leadership actually resides in everyday interactions. What I've observed in my work and research is that leadership is actually all about optimizing interactions. Like, you may have like a boss, say we were both on a team right now and you had a boss and I had a boss. No, that boss is not here in this interaction. That boss is not controlling whether I make you feel like you matter, whether I notice you, whether I affirm you, whether I show you that you're needed, whether I help you see the purpose in your work, right? So one of the things I encourage people to do is take your interactions captive because that's what you have direct control over is your interpersonal interactions with each other. And actually, that's where your legacy is crafted. Simon Sinek has a quote, and he says, be the leader you wish you had. And I like that because it gets at this idea that we have much more control over our interactions than we we think. And culture ultimately is generated. It's not prescribed from above, generated through daily interactions. The other thing I would say is, you may say to me, Zach, well, my leader doesn't make me feel like I matter. And then I would say to you, well, do you make them feel like they matter? Oh, oh. Oftentimes, we think like creating significance for one another is conditional or it's directional. Showing someone how they matter is unconditional. Just like compassion is unconditional. Kindness is unconditional. Once you add a condition to it, you're ceasing to see that person as a human being. So do you do it for the people above you? Do you notice them? Do you affirm them? Do you do show them how they're needed? Because we really shouldn't expect, as my kindergartner is learning, someone to treat us in a way that's different than how we treat them. Yeah, yeah, so true. And I think sometimes we have the tendency to fall back into that type of pattern where, well, you know, he's not treating me very well, therefore I'm not going to treat him very well either. It's probably a natural instinct as humans to do that. But then it's how do we bring more of that kindness and compassion into our interactions? I loved how you say that it is. It's built on these everyday interactions that we have with people. I'd love to come back to this idea of the environment and the culture that we create and the importance of values is something that came up quite a bit in the research that I've done. I'm a huge believer in that. For me, it ties into that idea. And again, I'd love to be challenged on this. But for me, finding that environment where the values, your personal values, your your core values align with the values of that organization. 
and where you feel a misalignment of that. Maybe you feel like you don't belong in that organization and it it's harder for you to have those positive interactions. Yeah, seeing your values reflected back to you again is another way we can see our significance. That, hey, what we believe to be true and important is significant. I would also add on to that, that the kind of values matter. You can have values as an individual that are completely self-oriented, right? So the kind of values matter. Like if we value contribution over achievement as individuals, research funds will be healthier and happier as a result. If the organization values contribution over achievement, for example, will create an ecosystem where people can see their significance regularly. So I would also investigate the kind of values you have and just do some do some digging. I mean, do some research and, and look at what will predict long-term fulfillment. I mean, usually I don't, I don't think we do an honest look at our own values and really look at, okay, will this produce long-term fulfillment or or will it produce me constantly trying to acquire and achieve things or just self-righteousness? So I think the kind of values an organization has is important. The kind of values an individual has is important. The alignment is really critical. So I think you're right on with that. I think values, as you probably know, are the guardrails. Absolutely, yeah. You know, the guardrails that that show us how to act. I think of like the values, values as like our boss, like our hidden boss, <laughs> or the boss of our decision-making, yeah. the boss of our actions. Um, and if our behaviors and actions follow what we value, if we want to participate in cultures that show people that they're valued and how they add value, then our values have to be really clearly directed in that space. So one thing I encourage people to do is think of the end behavior you would want from everybody else. And do you value what's needed to get there? Do your values, the values that you hold dear, are they the values that will result in the behavior you say you want from yourself and others. That's a really interesting way of thinking about it. And I had never really thought of it like that. I like the idea that you shared about and the very kind of concrete example of contribution versus achievement. And in an organization where achievement and results is valued over everything else. And oftentimes short-term financial results are, are highly valued. And I've been in those organizations where you know, something was due to come in in January. Let's try and move that into December. So we hit the year end and we hit the quarter and et cetera, et cetera. Wall Street's going to be happy about that. All of these kinds of things where you're showing what's really important in that organization. And I suppose part of the message that I want to get out there to people is if that's not the right environment for you, know that you have a choice and not every organization is like that as well. So there are kind of other options. I loved how you described it as the end behavior that you would want. And do you, you value the things that will get you there? So I think oftentimes we maybe have aspirational values. So oh, yes, uh, integrity. I really value integrity when actually intrinsically, it's not really something that is inherent in someone's behavior or in the way they're made up, but they think they should be living with integrity or they should have integrity. It's just not there. It's not that they don't do it, but it's maybe not in their top three or they're not their top five values. Any thoughts to share around the types of values that we might have? Yeah, I love the values ranking. You know, I've done values ranking stuff, but it doesn't really matter how you rank your values. What matters is how other people experience your values. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's just like care. 
Like, it doesn't matter how much I say I care for you. It only matters how much you feel cared for by me. We don't get to tell people that we care for them. They tell us that we care for them. We don't get to tell people that we value integrity. They tell us that we act in a way that aligns with integrity. All right. I love that. I knew you were going to flip things on their head a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's really important, you know, cause I did, I think it's really important to become clear on your values, but what's so important is not what your values are. What's more important is what's valued through your behavior. You mentioned some of the companies that you've worked for. One of the great tests that I've heard is that, you know, what you risk reveals what you actually value. Interesting. Yeah. What you're willing to risk. If you're willing to risk someone's dignity for productivity, you value productivity. You don't value human dignity. If you're willing to risk people's well-being for profits, you value self-serving profits over humans' well-being. And you have to really sit down at the end of the day and say that to yourself because that's what (laughs) produces change. So, you know, I invited people as we're doing this values clarification work which is exciting, important work, is to really think about, do your actions, portray your values. Ask people around you, ask your friends, ask your family. If you're a leader, ask your coworkers, hey, what do you think I value? It's a great first step in values clarification. What do you think I value? It shows how you're showing up. Right, it shows how you're showing up. Everything that you're talking about there, Zach, it brings me to the, back to this idea of the action versus the intention. So in our heads, we have an intention that we are bringing, but that might not necessarily show up in our behavior. And, you know, I've heard this story of we judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions because we don't know what other people's intentions are. So maybe this is where feedback comes in and that candid feedback, because People may unintentionally be behaving in a way that is not aligned with their values in a way that they would like to come across. That's a great point. I like that. I mean, this is a practice I think people can take away from this conversation is be open to and regularly do a gut check on whether you're living your values. Absolutely. Seek out that feedback. Yeah, seek it out. And don't be afraid of it. Be excited about it because you created those values for a reason. They're important to you for a reason. So I'm glad you brought values up and into this. <laughs> I could talk about values all day. To me, it's something that's that's really important, but you've brought some really great insights into my thinking around that. So I really appreciate that. One of the things, and I heard this on a LinkedIn audio event, I think it was, you talked about, and I was really fascinated by it, was this idea of the leading and lagging indicators In relation to, I think it was in relation to employee engagement, for example, and that being a lagging indicator. So it's not something that we we need to look at as a, you know, that's too late by the time it's got to um, engagement, it's too late. So what are the kind of things that are leading indicators? What are the kind of things that we should be looking at? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm glad you picked up on that. I think one of the biggest sources of issues in organizations right now is leaders are hyper obsessed with lagging indicators. So profit productivity, performance, engagement, satisfaction, those are all lagging indicators, right? You can't go and try to make someone satisfied. For example, job satisfaction is actually predicted by autonomy, having some say in what I'm doing, predicted by meaningfulness, knowing how what I'm doing matters, right? So we can't expect someone to be satisfied if they don't experience those things first. I would also say that almost everything we want in organizations 
is actually predicted by how people feel. Like, let's take productivity, for example. Most people want people to produce or perform well without first helping them be well. You know, a well individual who has energy is going to have the energy to perform. But so often we expect people to perform and produce without regenerating their energy to perform. That is a recipe for workplace despair. Yeah, so I think thinking about that, like what are those lagging indicators you say you want? And then really think about that every one of those things is mediated through a human being. And what is the ideal state of a human being who is producing or performing? And you'll come back to all the quote unquote fluffy stuff of making sure people are experiencing well-being. They're experiencing purpose, high quality relationships, autonomy, meaningfulness, mattering. And when you invest in those things, and you trust that the effect will follow, that's where you get long-term, sustainable lagging indicators. And I think it's the trust element, isn't it? It's a long-termism, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, we're going to invest here, we're going to finish the quarter on a high. It's a long-term, and knowing that you're going to get there as well, as opposed to looking for the quick wins, or things are not happening as quickly as you thought, so you're just going to revert to type and start managing in the same way that you did previously rather than focusing on well-being and I love the idea before again another previous podcast episode where she talked about you don't deserve to rest you don't have to earn your rest you don't have to work so much and then you've earned it you take a rest when you need a rest you know it's it, we don't have to have this philosophy of I have to put in x number of hours and then I deserve it it's more thinking about, again, going back to what you said, Zach, what are the conditions that I need to be well and to perform well on an individual level, but then at scale at an organizational level? And, and how does that work and how do we do that at scale? That's a great articulation of long-term thinking and being able to be cause-obsessed and not results-obsessed, right? My kindergartner is learning the difference between cause and effect right now. You cannot get an effect by trying to get an effect, right? You can only get an effect by relentlessly pursuing the cause. People are always the cause. You can't get an effect by pursuing an effect. You have to pursue the cause. And in organizations, people are always the cause. There's no result, no financial metric, no productivity metric, no engagement survey result is not mediated through a human being. And once we, I think once we believe that, What's ironic is once we believe that, the results will be better longer term. Like, you know, our economy, for example, here in the States, when we go every, I can tell you there'll be mass layoffs in eight years. Every eight years, we go through this cycle of okay. uninhibited growth and innovation, tipping on recession, inflation, and then people panic and they lay people off. And then, and then we're going to do it again, right? It's not sustainable. We live in this like roller coaster method of production and performance. But when you enable human well-being first and consistently create the energy you need for people to solve problems, to innovate, to produce, that's where you get sustainable results. You also mentioned engagement. For example, the three predictors are engagement, are psychological meaningfulness. People have to believe that they and what they're doing matters. Psychological safety. They have to be able to speak up without fear of retaliation. They have to be able to have a voice. And then psychological availability. They have to have the resources 
and that support from those around them, like literally have the availability of a leader there in order to be engaged. So you can't go trying to increase your employee engagement if you don't obsessively increase people's meaningfulness, you ensure psychological safety, and you ensure that you show up. Whereas what we're doing is almost backwards all the time. We're focusing on engagement. We're looking at those results and we're trying to impact the results from, or the effect, I think is the term you use. The, we're trying to impact the effect with another effect. We're trying to <laughs> right, hold right. conversations about employee engagement and how to increase employee engagement without talking about the things that are really important that drive employee engagement, essentially. Brilliant. Absolutely love that. How do we get people to stay? if you're struggling with turnover, is the wrong question. How do we ensure people experience psychological meaningfulness, safety, and availability is the right question. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Because once you start focusing on how do I get people to stay, you start coming up with tactics. Ooh, let's give them a $2,000 signing bonus. Ooh, let's put 20 more cents on the hour. Compensation is important, but compensation merely compensates people for their time and their skills. It's one of the only words that actually means what it does. It just gives, <laughs> fills in the gap. Yeah. It's an yeah, exchange. Yeah. <laughs> Money as an inanimate object cannot value another person. It could be a symbol of value, but it cannot say, I value you, Aoife. Right? People value people. People appreciate people. And so unless we're, again, going full circle, optimizing those interactions we have and equipping leaders in our organizations, with optimizing those interactions to produce meaningfulness, safety, availability, a feeling of support, then your turnover rates will be perpetually high. You may make a dent when you offer the $2,000 signing bonus, but the manufacturer up the street is going to put up their billboard tomorrow. So it's not a it's not a sustainable way to address that. So yeah, focusing, this is such an important point because refocusing on leading indicators is, is I think, one of the most crucial leadership skills that's needed to produce sustained results? I think for me, the the question is, and this can be based on what I'm exposed to, what you're exposed to. I'm like, why isn't everyone doing this? Like what's stopping people from doing this? Is it a knowledge issue or is it a knowing doing? Like they they know this stuff, but they're they're not implementing it themselves. I think one thing is like just human neurobiology, right? We have a little thing called the amygdala that's scanning oh, yeah. the environment for threats. So, <laughs> yes. but then our systems take advantage of that. I have a lot of empathy for leaders. Like, I don't think this is all like a leader's fault. If I said that, I would not be using the ecological approach that I champion, right? We can't rely on people to be morally good in a system that incentivizes them not to be, right? We live in a system that, especially for leaders, especially for executive leaders of large influential companies, where they're in an environment where their worth is tied to a quarterly earnings report. Like they will be eliminated if they don't produce value for their shareholders in the next quarter. If I were living in that reality and I woke up every day and that was my worth, I would certainly try to achieve results at any cost because my biological threat indicator is on. And I'm trying to survive. And when people try to survive, they scratch and claw. And a lot of organizations are scratching and clawing for survival and more money and more security. And so I think we have to also look at our systems 
and look at our incentives and what we incentivize. Do we incentivize short-term gain or do we incentivize long-term stability? Do we incentivize um, high employee production or do we incentivize high employee well-being and production? So like, for example, I don't think a leader who gets their people to produce a lot but burns them out should be rewarded. I think they should be terminated just like anybody else. Anybody else who allowed an asset, quote unquote asset in their company, a piece of machinery to fall into disrepair that was worth millions and millions of dollars would be held accountable. Yet we let leaders in organizations do it all the time to human beings. The most valuable, literally, the only reason why any of the other assets exist. <laughs> yeah, the people, the number one. So we have to have an environment that incentivizes a focus on leading indicators, incentivizes long-termism, incentivizes the regeneration of human energy. And because what we reward is ultimately who we become. By the way, this starts in elementary school. Here, take this test so I'll give you this arbitrary letter grade. Here, do this so you'll get this starting salary. Here, put in your time here so you get this benefit. He, you know, and it, and we have to flip out of that. It's the reward center yeah, in our brain, then right. the uh, gold star. And stars. most of it is like, do this for yourself. Like, do this to get yourself ahead, and I'll give you something for it. As opposed to collaborative, yeah. yeah, the individualism versus collectivism type of approach. I once had a sales leader for a company say to me, Zach. Zach, I need people to collaborate more. We don't collaborate. And I said, oh, cool. Could you email me your incentive structure? And she did. <laughs> she emailed it to me. It was all self-based commissions. Yeah, yeah, of course. People got rewarded for how much they sold as an individual. So I said, well, until you start rewarding people for helping each other sell, doing team selling or collaborative team rewards for selling, you will get non-collaboration. Oh, but what are we going to do? Everybody in our industry is doing that. You know, that's just how things are. We're going to miss out on it. We're not going to drop you, right? Yeah. That's what people do. You could be the trailblazers. This is this is what I was going to ask about. So let's assume that there's companies out there and they're short-term focused and it's all about Wall Street every three, every quarter, every three months. It's all about Wall Street. It's all about the numbers. Let's forget about them for a second, because I presume that either people are listening and they're relating to that and thinking, I want to get out of here, or <clears throat> they're not listening at all. So let's bring it back to the people who care about people and the people who are listening to the podcast today, but they're not quite there yet. What are some of the things you think they can do to get started on this journey? I think one of the things to focus on the leading indicator of human well-being, I think the first thing we need to do is notice people, learn the skills to actually see and understand people, create the space to be able to ask questions of people where you can get data from them to actually help them feel more seen. And I'm talking at a micro interaction level, like instead of just saying, hey, how are you? Ask, hey, what is your attention today? What have you been thinking about most today? What are you struggling with? What what's everybody here thinking but not saying? That's a powerful question, isn't it? Those are the type of interactions that start cracking open the space. And then you as a leader, someone who cares about someone, you can get some really valuable data on what's really going on, on how people are doing before you jump in and ask them to do something. 
right? So creating that space to notice people. Another thing is affirming people. So, you know, we have employee recognition programs or an employee appreciation programs. There's a big difference between recognition, appreciation, and affirmation, right? Recognizing people is showing gratitude for what someone does. Okay, here, we're going to recognize your work. Appreciation is showing gratitude for who someone is. Hey, we're really glad you're here. Affirmation is showing people the evidence of their significance. So showing people specifically how their unique strengths make a unique difference. So when you say thank you to someone, instead of just saying thank you, really describe the what they did and name some of the strengths they use and then show them the difference that they make regularly. That's one example. And then I think the, the, the last one is we have to make sure people feel essential and needed. Yes. Right. And I say this all the time, but don't be surprised when someone who feels replaceable acts replaceable, right? Making sure people feel like they and their unique perspectives and personalities are indispensable to you and the team and the organization is really critical. And I think that those three things are really of a foundation that's accessible in every interaction that we have. I will also say one thing about the Wall Street crowd. Yes, go for it. The results are not the problem. Like, I don't think it's a major problem that that there are results, right? Because like profit and revenue, they enable organizations to deliver more purpose. They enable organizations to create environments where people can feel like they're making a contribution. So I don't think it's like bad. And I think that's important. I do think that if you're in an environment, if you're an executive leader listening, if you're a leader in an environment of a of a results-based business, I always get that. We're a results-based business. I want you to think about how you might have control over how you get to the result. Can you get to the result by investing obsessively in human well-being? I would say yes. It might take a little longer, but over time, you'll start producing more sustainable results. So if you don't have control over the system changing and what you're incentivized for, you do have control over how you get to what's incentivized. A lot of leaders miss that. And people will start wondering how you're doing it as well. Won't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How are you doing it? How are you retaining people in an industry that we've just normalized high turnover? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love that. But I, I love the differentiation that you gave between recognition, appreciation, and affirmation. So I think oftentimes we treat people as if they're replaceable. We treat people as if they're just a number. And if they leave, well, we'll just get someone else in to do that same job. When the reality is that other person won't necessarily do the same job to the same level, to the same degree, with the same strengths, with the same ease, whatever it might be, they'll do it in their way which might have different types of strengths. So I think recognizing the unique contribution that people make um, is really important. And I and I hope for people listening today that they take that away and think, who can I affirm today? I should say, who can I affirm today? Who can I give that meaningful feedback? And not to use kind of, um, it may be a terrible example and it shows who I am and what I watch, but there was um, something in Below Deck and he was, giving feedback and he just he basically just said thanks for doing a good job and didn't explain what he did didn't explain anything about the way he did it or anything it was just thanks I saw you did a good job thanks for that and I think it's moving beyond that to explaining to people 
exactly how they contributed. And I think having that link between what you do on a day-to-day basis, what the team is achieving and what the company is achieving and how you're contributing to that is so important. Going back to this idea of significance, I think. Yeah. And and what you're describing is these are skills. And oftentimes we've just relied on intuition to lead. Like I'm just going to be a good person because I'm a good person or we'll promote this person because they're nice, you know, and they look, they seem like they like people, but intuition doesn't scale. You know, practices and skills do like the practice of affirming, giving an affirming thank you is a skill. The practice of asking different questions to notice people is a skill, right? Saying these five words, if it wasn't for you to show someone how they're needed is a skill. The reason why I focus on this is because it's really hard for anything to matter until someone feels like they matter. Right. So nothing, your strategic plan, staying there, your company cookout, whatever it is, nothing's going to matter to someone who doesn't first believe that they matter. So that's why that, that precursor of engagement of psychological meaningfulness, of knowing that I and what I do matter, of availability of showing up and noticing people, of safety, asking people for their voice through these practices we just discovered. That's why I focus on those. It's not that I'm not focused on employee engagement or all the tactics you can do for employee engagement. Notice I didn't advise you to create some new program or awards program, right? Because that's not where meaning is made. Meaning is made in interactions. So this should be both like, this should be empowering for people, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, I love that it's a skill because it means that you can learn. You can learn it. And maybe the first time you do it, you crash and burn. It's not very good. But then the more you do it, the better you get. Yeah, and if you have to blame it on me, and us in this podcast, you can Zach be like, told me to do it. <laughs> no, I love this. So I, I tell leaders to do this all the time. Like I say, Hey, just tell them what you're trying to do. And that it's going to be weird and awkward at first. Like, for example, if you're not someone who like asks deeper questions about people you're working for, if you're not usually someone who does that, you can say to your people, Hey, I'm trying to notice people better. I listen to this podcast and I'm trying to do this better. So I'm going to start asking different questions. Let me know how it's going for you. Just Knowing that you're trying, just when people know your good intentions and you don't keep them to yourself, that's a powerful leadership skill in itself. Just invite people into what you're trying to do because otherwise, yeah, you lose the humanity. And this this can all become inauthentic and robotic. I mean, you could do all of what we said in an inauthentic way. Um, So it has to be true to you. Brilliant. I love that. Zach, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what does being happier at work mean to you? So I had to, there's someone who already wrote it better than me. And Viktor Frankl, Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. And he writes, for success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue. And it only does as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person. Other than oneself. Happiness must happen. And the same holds for success. You have to let it happen by not caring about it. I love that. What's great about that is what is this? Happiness is a lagging indicator. Yes, it is. It Happiness is. is a lagging indicator of <laughs> seeing and enacting and believing that we matter. I love that. It's such a nice way to end the podcast. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way they can do that? So I think there's only one of me on LinkedIn, but you can go to Zach Mercurio. I'm on LinkedIn. I like LinkedIn. We've developed a really fun community. We disagree, we agree, but we just dig into some of these perspectives. And then you can also go to my website, ZachMercurio.com. I've started more writing on my blog again, and you can check that out. Let me know what you think. 
Brilliant. I look forward to doing that. And for anyone who wants to connect, I love the content that you put out on LinkedIn. So definitely give Zach a follow. Really appreciate your time today. I so enjoyed this conversation. Love digging into it and challenging some of my own perceptions as well. So appreciate your time today. Thank you. Yeah, no, thanks for bringing out all you brought out and for creating this platform. That was Zach Mercurio. And there is so much that I would love to say about that conversation. I so enjoyed it. I took so much away from it. I suppose the underlying theme of everything was this idea of meaning and purpose. And we started the conversation by talking about what purpose means initially. So usefulness or contribution, working your strengths, being purposeful about stuff and seeing how you're contributing to an organization. And then meaning is this idea of the experience that we have and the fact that we matter. I loved how Zach uses this word significance quite a bit. So in place of talking about purpose, it's talking about significance. And when we feel insignificant, that's when we withdraw. So we either go into our shells, we don't talk about what's going on, or maybe we resign. And I certainly have been like that. Or we go to desperation. So we complain and we blame. And again, I have been like that in the workplace as well. So this reframe of rather than thinking that's a difficult person, think about I have created a difficult environment. So what kind of environment have you created for that person? I just loved how I got so many light bulbs about previous conversations that I have had on the podcast. If you haven't listened to the episode with Dr. Lola Gershwald, do definitely go and check that out. It's number 174. It's not that long ago that it came out. Uh, But if you enjoy today's episode, you'll definitely get a lot from that episode as well. We talked about this idea of unmet needs and how we all have these needs at work. This ties in with my happier at work framework. The balance part is about need satisfaction at work and how we have our needs met, how to understand what our needs are, because oftentimes we don't even know what the needs are, but we know that we feel really frustrated. So it's giving language to that as well. Zach shared that great leadership resides in everyday interactions. So it's about the relationships that we have and our legacy is crafted in interactions. Culture is generated. It's not something that comes from the top. It's generated through those interactions that we have with people on a day to day basis. One of the insights that I took, one of the really interesting things I found was that we tend to think that how we treat people is conditional and that it's directional. So it has to come from above. And again, I referred back to another previous episode. I think it was number 136 with Ian Hatton and all about conscious leadership. And in that, we talk about the victim mode. And well, my boss is not doing that for me. So why should I do that for my team and playing the victim, essentially? And that's how this idea of thinking things are conditional or directional But we need to move out of that victim mentality and focus more on the relationships that we want to have and be that role model. We also touched on one of my favorite topics that is values and values is a core part of the Happier at Work framework. And I loved how Zach explained it's the kind of matters. So it's thinking about it from an individualistic versus a collective perspective. So 
Do you value things that contribute to the greater good or are you more focused on achievement and doing things for yourself? Zach shared that values are more about how other people experience you. So you can't say that about yourself. It's more about how others experience you. We talked about this idea then of action versus intention and how we tend to judge other people on their actions, whereas we judge ourselves on our intention when we don't know what other people's intentions have been. And again, this brings in the importance of feedback, seeking out feedback actively to see whether or not you are living in line with your values, to see whether or not you are showing up in the way you think you're showing up. And the last area I want to talk about and and probably spend just a little bit of time on this because it's something I'm so interested in and we tend to focus so much. And I heard Zach use this terminology before and I wanted to dive into it in as much detail as we possibly could in the time limitation that we had on the podcast. But that is the idea that we're so focused with lagging indicators like satisfaction and engagement when actually we need to be focused on the things that precede those. So we can measure engagement, we can measure satisfaction, but they are the after effects of what comes before that. And what comes before that are having psychological meaning, psychological safety and psychological availability. So are you available to people? Are you providing support and resources? Have you provided an environment where people feel that it's okay to share what's going on for them, to speak up? And have you given them meaning? Do they matter to the organisation? Everything is predicted by how we feel. If we are well, then we perform well. We also talked about asking the right questions. So if there's a high level of turnover, the default question is, why are so many people leaving? And we need to change that to how can we give people what it is that they need at work so that they don't leave? So just that slight shift in Thinking in questioning can maybe open up a whole load of new insights as well. We talked about how the system incentivizes people not to be morally good. So especially, and I have worked in this environment before, when there are deadlines around financial goals that you're reporting to Wall Street, uh, it puts a lot of pressure on people. The way to combat this then is through recognition, appreciation and more especially affirmation. So What is the evidence of that person's significance? What did that person uniquely do that supported you and how did they help you? And recognising that you need to make people feel like they are needed. Thankfully, these are skills that can be learned and therefore this is the type of approach that can be scaled in an organisation. As always, I would love to know what you thought of today's episode. I'm going to wrap it up there for now. I'd love for you to get involved in the conversation. You can reach all of my social channels through happieratwork.ie and I look forward to learning what is one thing that you might do differently as a result of listening to today's episode. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. And if you've made it this far, well done you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to today's episode. If you did enjoy it, please consider leaving a rating, a review or share it with a friend. I would love for you to get involved in the conversation. And also, if you'd like to know more about how I can help you or your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie.